Hey, sports fans, you're tuned into the Emerald City Fandom Podcast. We're Seattle fans talking Seattle sports. We're your hosts. I'm Connor. I'm Sam. And I'm Justin. You ready to get started? Let's send it! Welcome back to the pod, folks. This is episode 39. And Justin is is actually joining us for a Husky episode. Welcome in, Justin. How are you? been a while you know between greece and me not adjusting back to the time last week yeah i'm, I'm excited yeah. to join i was uh, we got the pleasure of going to your house last weekend watching it on the projector so we had a good and not good time in the second half and then a good time in overtime so it was fun that's right yeah but it at least if ended I, if rejoice, I explain but that yeah it was correctly. it was it was frustrating for sure um, and I think I, I think I said something to the to you at the end of that night, uh, handing back some of the drinks that you you graciously brought over and said, you better have one of these on the podcast when we're recording. It looks like you do. What are you sipping on, sir? Yeah, so uh, we're drip, we're uh, dipping into Sam's favorite drink, the Bud Light Seltzers, and we got a lemon lime flavor right now. So it's nice and refreshing, almost like a soda, but lemon lime. It feels it goes down nice and easy, especially on a Monday Lord. night. I don't know what's worse, <laughs> Bud Light Seltzer or water. Like to be goodness. fair, Sam, Bud Light Seltzer is pretty good. Have you tried it, Sam? Uh, excuse me. <laughs> exactly. So Hell no. no. It's no. it's pretty good. I I'm actually Just surprised how good it is. The only right, time I've chance. ever had seltzers is when I was floating the Wenatchee River and I ran out of beers in the cooler and there was only White Claws left. Is this the same time your friend uh, stupidly lost his keys in the river, or was that a different time? Yeah, so that was when uh, Justin here, genius of the century, <laughs> went on a river float with some, I don't know, were you even in swim trunks or shallow pockets or something? I, I, was, I had swim trunks, but there was no zippers or anything, you know? Yeah, that's a bad move. Yeah. Keys, to this day, they're pro- I'm, we should like get some scuba gear and go find them. Mm. yeah 2022 i'll have to crash your party we can go you know scuba diving the wenatchee river (laughs) anyway sam what are you sipping on uh not seltzers uh i am sipping on some pendleton whiskey ran out of jack daniels so i've got the next best thing until my next shipment comes in so still on the whiskey train (laughs) how about you connor what are you sipping on um, I got a spicy IPA. Uh, no, it's the Sierra Nevada Torpedo Extra IPA. By spicy, I mean it's very hoppy. But it's a good one. I can't do one. the hoppy Solid. shit anymore. It's just like too much for me. I can't, can't do more it. than one. Like I can't. Kind of runs it runs through me a little bit. I just you know I have to use the toilet. I feel like if I have too many yeah. of those, you know. Well, we'll see how I feel in about fifteen minutes. But yeah, I'm halfway through this thing already. Dang. Well, let's get this rolling then. We're going to have some okay. good commentary from you boys. That's right. That's right. So Huskies, uh, you know, I think this is kind of the definition of a win is a win in, in a OT thriller over Cal. Way too close for comfort. Kind of a tale of two halves, at least from, from what I observed. We're up, what, 21 to 10 at halftime, I think. Yeah. After yep. Cal went down for a field goal as time expired at, of the first half. And then, I mean, it's it's what we've talked about. Like, 
teams make some adjustments at halftime, and then it doesn't seem like the Huskies are able to cater to those adjustments that teams make against them, their opponents. So struggled in the second half. And um, I guess before we before we dive, dive too deep into the game, we should note that there were some key losses in this game as far as personnel goes. Sam, I know you have a list here of some guys that did not play for various reasons and hoping that most of those guys are back sooner rather than later, but we don't, we don't really know the timeline on most of these guys yet. Yeah, exactly. That's the thing that I would, I would encourage everyone to keep in mind, or at least to provide some context to the win. I know it was a frustrating game to watch. I was just as frustrated yelling at the TV as anybody having my wife tell me to calm down and check my energy and all that stuff. You know how it goes. These tight Husky (laughs) games when that purple and gold runs deep, it can get kind of wild. But the things that I would keep into context is one, our games against Cal have always been sloppy. And like we've lost, obviously we've lost the last two, even the ones that we've pulled out victorious recently. It's just, it's going to be a close not a fun game to watch as a fan. And so I'm proud that we came out on top and found a way to win. Obviously, we're going to get into a lot of the details here of what we'd like to see done better. There's a lot to clean up for sure. But Connor, to your point, the other thing that we need to keep into consideration is this. Going into the 2021 season, if you told me against a Pac-12 opponent that we were without Richard Newton, without Kate Otten, without ZTF, with a limited or with a limited Eddie Ulafoscio, limited Buki, and no Trent McDuffie, I'd be like, holy shit, that's one, two, three, four, five, six of our top ten players mm-hmm. gone. So we were playing with. I mean, injury bug has hit us tough already in the beginning of the season. First, it was the wide receiver room. Now it's kind of like sprinkled throughout the whole roster. Hopefully, we'll be able to get most of these guys back. It sounds like. Richard Newton will be back against Oregon mm-hmm. State. I think Buki will be back. Hopefully, Eddie's still working himself in back up to 100%. He'll be playing. But who knows? He's kind of been in and out of the lineup, which has been bad for our defense. Yeah. And then with Kate Otten, ZTF, and Trent McDuffie, it's kind of the classic Jimmy Lake, quote-unquote, week-to-week. So nobody really knows there. So could could be missing some, some major – keys to our offense and defense this week as well so kind of just need to keep trudging through it week to week yeah for sure we did have some guys fill in pretty admirably in there in those absences though and i think those are kind of the the guys that that stood out the most were the tight end devin Culp in place of kate otten and then cornerback kyler gordon taking over that cornerback one role for trent mcduffie like those are probably your two player of the games on each side of the ball. Do you guys agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as we were saying, Connor, and we were both talking about this, like with Devin Culp's performance, like is Kate Otten really overrated? No, I'm just kidding. Whoa! <laughs> Listen, I will, I will bite. I will bite Kate that who? bait all day. I will bite. That I'm bait kidding. All day. No, but Devin Culp had a nice game. He could actually catch the ball, which is something he hadn't shown Unreal. in live football action. Um, Ever is ever an accurate statement? I mean, I mean spring football doesn't count. So he's caught the ball in games, but like his drops have far outweighed 
and yeah. and his drops have been like so significant in value mm-hmm. during the game. So I think mm-hmm. that your point is valid. Like this was the first time he proved to be a consistent positive for the offense. Right. And then on the defense, obviously the best player on the team, Trent McDuffie missing, you have Kyler Gordon being cornerback number one, so to speak, and obviously showing up with a huge performance, two interceptions, and probably the most important play that fourth and two stop that he had on the running back guys like that was so huge. And that just elevates his NFL draft stock. I mean, this guy's a player. Oh yeah. He's, he's going to be playing on Sundays. I hope he's, he comes back, but I don't he if he keeps up performances like that, he's gone. I mean, he's Kyler's also a guy that shows up at the combine and moves up 30 picks. I mean, right. he's gonna run a four-four. He's yeah, gonna he's jump out of the building. His agility's through the roof. So yeah, I think that's a good call out. I mean, it's the whole next next man up mentality for sure. I was really happy for Devin Culp. I mean, I've seen glimpses of it it's you know we'll get into this thread later around dylan morris not going through his progressions and finding wide receivers or receiving targets down the field and i felt until this game devin culp has been negatively impacted by that i've seen him run away from tight ends body safeties and dbs and just not get the ball thrown his way so it was really nice to see the game kind of come together for him i think he's an extremely athletic tight end he's definitely faster more athletic agile version of of kate otten he's not obviously as polished as a blocker but if we can have devin culp continue this as a receive receiving receiving threat at the tight end position and kate otten comes back that's a really promising duo i think they complement each other really nicely for sure. I can't, I, I can't disagree with any of that assessment. And I mean, another guy that we just got back, you were mentioning wide receivers is Roman Dunze. And it was nice to see him back out there. You can tell there's certain plays that he just excels at that no one really else does specifically screen passes. He's really, really good at executing those and setting up his blocks in front of him. He, that's just, that's such a, that's such a key, especially in this type of offense, to be able to have a receiver like a threat like that on the outside that can just catch a quick ball and get you eight to ten yards easy, like almost every time. Um, so that was that was really, really good to see him back. Cause I don't know if I was really expecting him back quite yet, based on what we had kind of been been the details that we had kind of been given through the boards at least. Um, it seemed like he he was still a couple of weeks away, but it was he was out there and maybe didn't get full playing time, but was definitely making an impact out there on, on the field. So it was good to yeah, see. Yeah. I have a little bit to add to that and throw the first bone and maybe the last bone of the season to offensive coordinator, John Donovan. There was a really nice um, play setup that he had on those screens. And so a lot of them started with motioning Romo Dunze to the screen side of the field. And we had three success. Well, there was three, three times we ran it that I noticed one. So it's an RPO screen. And when we first ran it, Dylan Morris handed the ball off for like a three yard run with Sean McGrew. And he should have thrown it out to the mm-hmm. screen. Cause it was three on two. We had two blockers and receiver against two DBs. You need to throw that all day, play numbers games. But then we obviously saw some success with Rome being the pass catcher on that screen. We also saw him, motion across and be a lead blocker 
on a wide receiver screen to Terrell Bynum. And to your point, as good as he is in the screen game as the ball carrier, he's a hell of a nasty run blocker for a wide receiver. I mean, I saw him just like pancake a guy into the sideline, into the Cal sideline. And it was awesome to see that from a wide receiver. And then the other wrinkle that I saw on a play that we, the same play or the same formation and the same motion, instead of dropping back for the screen or blocking for the screen, they set it up so it looked like Rome was going to block for a Terrell Bynum screen. He faked the block and ran down the seam and he was wide open. So it was really nice to see like a similar, a, a very, almost the exact same look, exact same motion and have like four different play options off of it. I thought was really nice wrinkle into the offense from a play calling perspective that I hadn't really picked up on, picked up on or seen before. So again, might be the last bone I throw John Don's way, but I figure I, I should do it when, when it's called for. And I, that stuck out to me as a positive. Yeah. Well, I mean, what we've been saying is that uh, John Donovan is, I mean, the, the praise behind him is that he actually runs a pro style offense, which is what you're talking about, which, right. you know, is like same type of look, but multiple sets out of that look, essentially multiple play designs out of that same look. Um, that's what that's what the pros use. And it's it's really effective in college if you if you can install it correctly. Um, we've kind of been up and down, I think, with that, with John yeah. Donovan at the helm. But um, he he did have some instances where it did look pretty good on Saturday. Speaking of the offense, Justin when we were watching that game in my backyard on the projector, you, you were the one to bring up that we had scored on three straight drives. We scored three straight touchdowns in that first half who stood out to you in those drives um, offensively. And like, what do you think led to the success of those drives that maybe didn't work later in the game? In your opinion, Uh, a couple of things. And then you guys can add on to this. I think first thing that stood out to me was just the volume that Sean McGrew had. And we found out today, I think that Richard Newton was injured, which answered our question of why we weren't seeing more right. of him, but you know, Sean McGrew promoted to the leadership council on the UW team, you know, you feeling, betcha. You feeling <laughs> himself getting in there and, you know, I wouldn't say average a ton per carry, but I mean, adds a different element to this offense that maybe. Uh, some cohesion and some leadership that they were missing. So that stood out to me. And then just spreading the ball out, I think was another, uh, another key. We didn't find, um, you know, I have some negatives to share later, but we weren't targeting one receiver, right? We've got Robo Dunze for three catches and Jalen McMillan for three catches and a touchdown. I think Taj Davis had a touchdown as well. So finding and spreading out to different receivers made Cal not able to focus on one specific or two specific guys when you're spreading out the offense. And obviously we mentioned Devin Culp as well. So when you have different options and you have healthy folks that can um, make routes and be open and create separation, then you can be a more dangerous offense. So those two things stood out to me. Sam, did you have anything to add on to that? I think that's really good analysis. The only thing that I would add on to it is I felt like the offensive line played a lot better. If we're comparing the two halves, Dylan Moore yeah, seemed a bit more sure. comfortable, not only, you know, with his feet in the pocket, he wasn't getting happy feet. He didn't have as many throwaways um, as he did in the second half that probably there could have been a lot more completions there. If Morris just had a little bit more composure and poise so I think Morris played a lot better in the first half as well, just being a bit more decisive mm-hmm. to Justin's point, finding the open wide receivers, spreading it out, 
he just seemed to have a better grasp on the game. I haven't been able to break down the game film as much as I normally would like. So I don't know if there were wrinkles that Cal threw at him in the second half that kind of led to I'm that sure. breakdown. I'm sure they did. Um, but I also think the offensive line for the, for the most part played pretty well in, in the first half. And I think that just helps the, the, you know, the offense run like a well-oiled machine. Now building off that point, what do you think went wrong in the second half, at least on, on the Washington side of the offense, what went wrong? I know, I know that you said that you haven't broken down the film to see if Cal like threw some wrinkles in to maybe confuse Morris. But I mean, I, there's some things that come to mind for me, but I want to hear your thoughts on kind of what, what went wrong in that second half and specifically what, what role did Dylan Morris play in, in those things going wrong? Yeah. So the one thing that I did do with the time that I had was break down offensively, how the second half went for us. And on our first drive, you know, we had a really nice drive going balanced mm -hmm. with run and pass drove down the field. I think it was 11 plays or maybe even 13 plays. I can't remember. And we have a great run by Sean McGrew down to the three yard line, but Mark Redman had a hold that put us into a second and 19 Dylan Morris threw the ball out of bounds, just getting rid of it. Then on third and 19, we threw like a four yard pass, which was great play call or great, pass i mean try to make something more happen end up with a field goal there then we go three and out basically terrible blocking on incomplete pass super short run and then we took a deep sack and then on the next drive after gordon's interception the spectacular one on the sideline we give the ball right back we're at the cal 45 and pleasant fumbles it away so you're losing points on that drive that was a huge sequence, I thought. Yeah. Which was totally turning point in the game. And then we get the ball back on turnover on downs with Gordon's fourth and two tackle that Justin mentioned earlier as like arguably one of the most important plays of the game. We hit a big pass down the middle to Odunze. Then we get a short run. And then Morris just like totally loses his poise, throws a ball out of bounds, throw away and complete. And then on third down, he has Bynum coming across the field and he just like rips one into a tight window that I felt like was unnecessary. Bynum was able to get one hand on it, but there was so much more room over the top. And that's the scenario where I would just love to see Morris have a bit more touch on his ball, throw yeah. Bynum into the open space, give him a chance to actually catch it. So then we settle for a field goal. Of course, Peyton Henry misses it. Then on the next drive, Morris, throws the ball away twice both times the wide receiver in the area was Taj Davis and he was open he was open on the sidelines for a short completion that would have equated to a first down but Morris just had it in his mind that he was going to throw it out of bounds like didn't even give his wide receiver a chance and then of course on the final drive again another terrible decision by Dylan Morris, we run the ball twice. We get to third and two and Morris just decides he's going to try to take the top off the defense and throw the deep ball to McMillan. Who's totally blanket coverage. I mean, to McMillan's credit, he almost came down with a spectacular, mm -hmm. you know, 50, 50 ball, if you want to call it that. But in doing that, he missed Taj Davis, who was wide the fuck open 
<laughs> for a first down and lots of green grass for probably a 20 to 30 yard completion. And you could probably go and ice the game. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I know I just basically read out the play by play, but my takeaway in the second half struggles is less to do with play calling and, you know, offensive line didn't play great. Dylan Morris definitely was getting happy feet back there and for good reason mm-hmm. most of the time. But if I'm really looking at the, those final three drives, the reason they ended the way that they did was Morris either making a bad throw, making a bad read, or throwing the ball away and giving up on the play way too early. That's what I saw. So I, I feel like Morris really needs to play better in those moments in order for us to be able to go seal and win win the game late in the fourth quarter. I don't know if you guys agree with that, if you saw other things that also contributed to that, but that was my main takeaway. No, I mean, I saw the same thing, and I, I have a couple of the notes, but you laid them out better than I probably would. I just have, in the last five drives, so excluding that field goal drive that we had to open the second half after we got the ball back, Dylan Morris, three for nine for 47 yards. I mean, that's pretty pathetic. That's bad. Um, mm-hmm. And you think of the throws that he missed or some of the decisions he made where pretty awful. And, you know, I almost forgot, but, you know, I just remember now that, you know, Cal had that 55 yard field goal to win it at the end that they missed. Um, yeah. right. Thankfully, but it's just like some of that decisions and that's off the banks of that third and two that you just mentioned. It's just, it's just poor quarterback play at the end of the day. And, you know, if he keeps playing like this, I mean, it, I kind of think it's lucky, more lucky than skilled that he didn't have an interception this game with how much he stares down folks. And, yeah, you know, I, I won't preview the Oregon State game yet, but if he continues to play like this, I don't know how much longer he can last. Yeah, and I, I agree with everything you guys said. I mean, he, we've talked about it before on this podcast. He's definitely a one-read quarterback, and he gives up on that read. Um, if he gives up on that read, he's either checking it down way too early, like hitting like his like last option or he's throwing it away. So he's giving up on the play way too early a lot of the time. Um, and like you said, in, in, in those instances when Taj Davis is wide open, he's probably a second, maybe third read. And you can just tell that Dylan Morris, his eyes just aren't getting to those second and third reads. He sticks with that first read and stares at it for up to four or five seconds if he has good protection. And sometimes it comes open, sometimes it doesn't. If he has good protection, sometimes it will come open. And that's probably what you saw a little bit better in the why the offense executed a little bit better in the first half. Blocking was a little bit better. He had a little bit more time. That first read has time to come open. If he has any amount of pressure, like I don't know. I don't think he even can even read blitzes. Like, you know, when someone's blitzing off of one side, like that's where you're supposed to throw it. I I have no faith that Dylan Morris would be able to make that read that quickly just because he, the, the game seems so fast for him to be able to not progress through his reads. So it's, it's something that needs to develop and it needs to develop quickly if this team is going to go where they want to go this year. And if not, it's going to it's gonna end up being next man up. And someone like Sam Heward, who you've talked about and, and definitely praised before, Sam, that he, that's something that Sam Heward gives you that Dylan Morris doesn't, is that professional vision as a quarterback of going through his reads properly and being able to uh, 
decipher a play before it even happens and know where the ball needs to be. Cause ultimately that's what the quarterback is, is asked to do. Right. So, um, as, as, as well as Morris played in the first half, he played equally, if not even worse in the second half compared comparatively, he was not the only one to struggle though. In the second half, the defense struggled almost as much as Morris did. Um, and part of that could have been that they were on the field a lot um, in the second half. I think, I think that that was, that was a huge, huge factor in them struggling. The thing that I just can't get over is that, that our pass rush is, is nothing. Yeah. I, that's where it all starts for me is no ZTF. We heard all these sexy names that should be coming out, you know, and, and having some sack parties in the backfield and nothing's happening. Like it, and and when something does happen, like Ryan Bowman flashed a couple times, I thought on Saturday, it's not consistent. Like it's just it's a flash in the pan mm-hmm. type pass rush for us, and that's not sustainable. As good as our secondary is at covering, much less so when you don't have Trent McDuffie, your lockdown corner on one side, and Michelle Powell filled in, but definitely had his struggles. He looked like a freshman out there, in, in some instances, I thought on Saturday. The pass rush needs to need it needs to improve for this defense to be able to function the way that it the way that it that we're hoping that it does this year. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I think adding another layer to that conversation as well is we're not even just talking about getting QB hurries or getting sacks. Like the pass rush is is definitely getting those stats on the stat book for sure. But mm-hmm. another component of it especially when you're playing a quarterback like Chase Garbers or like Nolan, who we're going to face this upcoming yep. week against Oregon state is containing the QB. And right. it just, the way that, and it's a personnel thing right now. It's just too bad that you don't have somebody like a ZTF or even like a Joe try on that's an athletic edge. You know, I wish that we'd see more out of Savelle smalls. That's been disappointing to me. Obviously, you alluded to some of these names like Braylon Trice. Where's he even at? He's not even yep. seeing the field. And, you know, Cooper McDonald, the one thing he does well is he sets the edge and plays the run pretty well, but he's a nobody when it comes to pass rushing. And so we end up in these pass rushing downs. And a lot of the times I'm seeing Taimani, Latuli Nasanoa, and Tuatele out there with Bowman or somebody else and Garbers breaks the pocket and you've got a 320 pound D lineman trying to chase him down to the edge. They're going to lose that race 10 out of 10 times. And we saw that happen a lot. And so I think that's the other aspect that we need to buckle down to is not only create more pressure, but be, be, you know, assignment sound and athletic enough on obvious passing downs to contain a quarterback that, has obviously proven for years that they can make, you know, move the chains with their legs. So I'm hoping that we see adjustments made there. I think I was disappointed with Bob Gregory's play calling in the sense that we really didn't spy the quarterback as much as we could have, or should have having a linebacker or a nickel like Buki kind of spying Garbers a bit more and really trying to contain him from using his legs because you look at the box score and it, you look at Cal and it's like Garber's almost beat us single-handedly. Mm-hmm. I think he was, their se- he was their second leading rusher. Obviously 
he made plays with his arm as well. But like looking forward to the next game, it could be a lot more of the same. Yeah, I mean, when you have Chase Garbers, who actually led the team in rushing, that's uh, it's too much opportunity. And that just lack of pass rush, right? He's going looking for a pass, and he's able to scramble and have scrambles of up to 23 yards, which was his long. So that's a problem. I mean, I don't think uh, Nolan is as mobile as Chase Garbers or as Garbers is. I don't know. I, I didn't know. think yeah. so, but I watched that. I watched part of that game, and he's pretty quick. <laughs> yeah. yeah we'll talk about him in a bit but yeah it, it's trouble I mean we have to get home to the quarterback to have any chance yeah and Sam you mentioned QB spy that that screams that Eddie isn't healthy because that's that's so so his game like he he would have shut Garbers down if he was fully healthy I, I I think if they if they had I mean if he's healthy I think Bob Gregory trusts Eddie to do that like I have yeah. faith that he would be the X's and O's guy to put him in that position. And Eddie would have him for lunch if, if he's healthy. So he's, oh, yeah. he's definitely not, he's definitely not right. Um, and hopefully, hopefully he's, he's, he's healthy sooner rather than later. Cause like you guys said, we're going to, we're going to need him this next Saturday before any other thoughts on in reflecting on this Cal game before we move on to the Oregon state game. The only other thing that I wanted to add here was that the student section was lit on Saturday. Like they were, they were energized. They were popping like for, especially for a one and two team coming off of like one of the worst, if not the worst loss in program history earlier this season. I mean, I don't know if it was like a, uh, some kind of incentivized type thing to get all the students there. Um, I mean, students obviously were back on campus this is the first game that they were back on campus, like officially right. for fall quarter. Um, so obviously that helped, but like, I mean, it was a lot better of a turnout than I was expecting for, for that game against Cal on Saturday. Yeah. I think a lot of that had to do with not only are they back on campus, but for a lot of the students, it was their first chance, you know, going back to the Montana game, right there was a great turnout for that game. Most fans haven't seen Husky football and Husky stadium in over a year. Yeah. I think that was the case for a lot of the students that were moving back onto campus last week. So I think there's a lot of excitement there. I know that Husky Twitter was getting pretty pumped out, <laughs> pumped up about like the purple out and all right. that stuff. And it looked like they had a bit more fan engagement. I saw they had like some cell phone light song. Was it the yeah, weekend or too. something they played? Yeah. Or, I don't know exactly what it was, but Justin like... and I were very confused at what was going on when they were showing that on the, yeah. on, on the projector. We were like, what is going on? But I'll I've never it. seen this. We need more yeah. stuff like that to keep, keep fans engaged and in, in their seats the whole game. But mm -hmm. I agree, Connor, it's definitely worth calling out and that hopefully they continue showing up throughout the season. And if we keep winning, I think they will. I think I'll, uh, the last thing that I'll talk about the Cal games just goes back to my opening remarks too. a win is a win mm -hmm. against Wilcox and the Cal team that we've struggled against for a long time. We were without, you know, more than half of our top 10 players for some portion of the game. So as much as things went to shit in the second half, the fact that we were able to come back in overtime and win the game, I think, speaks a lot to the team's makeup and in a lot of ways it could be the type of win that boosts the team's confidence going into the rest of Pac-12 play which is really important you know 
even more important coming off of a pretty demoralizing first two games of the season. So it feels like the momentum is starting to build up a little bit in terms of just that team culture, that team confidence and believing in what they're doing. So I'm happy with it, but cautiously optimistic moving forward. Still haven't seen us put together a full game. Um, so right. we'll see. We got Oregon state next. They had a big, big game last weekend. <laughs> yeah. Th- a three and one Oregon state team coming off a huge win at USC, which you can say your own thoughts about the USC program, I think is kind of a bit in shambles. They obviously fired their head coach Clay Helton earlier this earlier this year, but they were coming off of a pretty impressive win over Wazoo in Pullman the week before. So um, definitely talent on that USC team and Oregon state just throttled them. So definitely a, a really talented or not talent maybe isn't the right word, but very well coached team coming in and um i'll say talented i mean i there's there's talent on that team hit the transfer portal hard they have they They have have a lot of highly recruited high school recruits that they've picked up through the transfer portal from other teams hey man i mean if you're oregon state and you're recruiting against the big bad oregon right in your state and you're not getting a Mm -hmm. lot of recruits and you're going out and you're saying like hey what are some other players and other schools that aren't getting a lot of time like they'll get a chance to shine in corvallis oregon like that's what you got to do right yeah they're doing it well right now for sure (laughs) the transfer portal is what keeps the parody in college football alive that's what i kind of appreciate it appreciate about it just because i feel like recruiting is only going to get worse especially with nil and stuff Oh, yeah. But mm-hmm. with the transfer portal, those those recruits that kind of flame out at their first stop and want a different opportunity, like that's what keeps some of the parity in college football. So I, I appreciate the transfer portal as, as annoying as it can be because it's kind of like free agency almost type thing. So anyway, back to this, back to the talking about this, this Oregon State game. So for talking series, series history, it's it's another one that UW has dominated for the most part. They're 66, 34 and four and UW most recently has won nine games in a row. I think we talked about this on the podcast last year, Sam, um, that we had won eight in a row going into that first game last year against Oregon state. And then we ended up again, it was kind of like the Cal game almost this, (laughs) this last week. It was a, it was a close, close, hard fought game that probably shouldn't have been as close as it was. Um, but they pulled it out 27 to 21 last year in, in Seattle. So coming off of that and, Surprising enough, even though Oregon State is three and one, dogs are at two and two. Um, and and Oregon State coming off of that very impressive win at USC, the dogs are favored by four in Corvallis. I'm a little shocked by that. By that, and I have to think that 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 line is going to move before the 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 kickoff on Saturday. Um, it probably already has moved. I haven't looked at it since since yesterday. But um, I know that was the opening line, and that's that's shocking to me. But um, anyway, tell us a, tell us a little bit about this Oregon State team. Obviously, you have a good good buddy that's that's coaching on their on their staff, um, and he's maybe given you a little bit of insight on some of his favorite players on the team. But it's pretty obvious who some of their standout players here that we have some of the players to watch on Oregon State on Saturday. Yeah, no, Sapardo, Coach Sapardo goes a little bit quiet 
the the two weeks leading into the UW Oregon State matchup. <laughs> a little close to the vest. Yeah, he plays it pretty close to the vest. But I I honestly one because he's a coach down there. But I've always kind of enjoyed following Oregon State. I obviously love it when they're beating Oregon and and whatnot. So they're one of my other. I mean, I don't really love any other Pac-12 team, but I do like Oregon State. Obviously not looking for them to perform well this weekend against my dogs, but <laughs> I follow the team fairly closely. And really, you're going to get a very similar look to Cal on offense for Oregon State. They've kind of had, you know, a carousel of, of quarterbacks this season. I mean, last year they found a lot of success with Tristan Gebbia. He obviously got hurt right. by that dirty, cheap, shot shit that Oregon pulled on him at the goal line and like totally blew like ripped his knee off yeah and like I can't remember if it was hamstring or quad or something like completely tore off the bone so I know that he's in re he's in rehab I think he is working his way back but I don't expect to see Gebbia in this game or Jebbia I always forget how to pronounce his I last name I think it's Jebbia I think you're right I think it's I think it's the G so um but nonetheless, we've seen a couple of quarterbacks this season for the Beavers already. I think Sam Neuer started the season off. I can't. I right. don't know if he got hurt or got benched. He hasn't. He didn't play very well in what he had played. But they turned to Chance Nolan, and he's really kind of lit a spark for this offense. Again, comparisons to Chase Garbers at this point, somebody that can definitely hurt you with his legs. He's also has an arm that's, you know good enough to light this offense on fire. Just looking at his stat line from their 45 to 27 victory against USC, Chance Nolan was 15 of 19 for 213 yards, four touchdowns. He did throw two picks. But with him as a running threat, I mean, he also ran for 57 yards. They'll bring in a local kid, well, I guess, quote unquote, local kid, um, What's his name? Jack Coletto from Camus. He was a quarterback there. He's now more of a linebacker, but he'll come in and run their wildcat packages as the quarterbacks, you know, again, quote unquote quarterback, but he can also pass. So that's a dangerous thing that we need to look out for as well, but he's a stud at the goal line. He had two touchdowns in that game rushing for the Beavers, but really this offense is going to go as BJ Baylor does. He had 23 carries, 158 yards against USC. And going back to our matchup against them last year, Jamar Jefferson was dealing with some nagging injuries when he played against us. And BJ Baylor came in and played very well in that game as well. So mm -hmm. Baylor isn't anything that the Huskies haven't seen. They saw a lot of him last year. And from the looks of it, they're going to see a lot more of BJ Baylor this week as well. Looking at their wide receivers, this is where you get into some of that transfer portal goodness that they found. Tyjon Lindsay was a – he might have even been a five-star recruit from, I think, Bishop Gorman. Ended up going to Nebraska, found his way back to Oregon State. He's a, a, a smaller guy, and you'll find that on this roster. Most of their wide receivers are smaller, quick, jitterbug-type wide receivers. He's – he's their number one go-to guy. I mean, he's a really good route runner. And once he get the ball in his hands, he can make anything happen from anywhere on the field. I was also happy to see Treshawn Harrison from Garfield went to Florida state. He made his way back to the Oregon state team. 
it seems to me that this was kind of his coming out party. He had a long 36 yard touchdown pass. So that's another name to keep an eye on. Trey Lowe should sound familiar. That's a running back wide receiver hybrid that transferred from UW to Oregon state. He's from the state of Oregon. It seems like he's factoring into their offensive uh, game plan a bit more as well. And then really they're tight ends and it's, you know, we're used to seeing it with Jonathan Smith when he was the Huskies offensive coordinator kind of started the use of multiple tight end sets, but they've got, I butcher his name, Quatoriano. They've got Hargrave is still there. They have a freshman that UW wanted. Jake Overman is a big freshman and he's going to be a really good player to keep an eye out on as well. So I know I spent a lot of time on their offense, but they did just score 45 points. So I think that's worth calling out. Yeah. Defensively, there's also a couple names just to shout out really quick. I think they have the best inside linebacker tandem in the conference with Avery Roberts and Omar Spates. They're just two hard-nosed blue-collar linebackers, and they have given us fits in the past, and I imagine they'll continue doing that this weekend. And Spates then, is the dude that's like super long, right? Like no, like, they're no, they're both like six one, six foot, two thirty, two forty, like pretty true. Who was the dude size. that was like ridiculously? I thought it was Spates that was like I, I remember seeing someone last year that was just ridiculously athletic. I I swear it was Spates. You might be thinking of Hamaka Rashid Hamaka Rashid. He didn't have that good of a game against us though. Yeah. I think it was Spates that was flying or at I just I noticed his arm length. I think though. Yeah, he's definitely got. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got some long arms. And I noticed he wore gloves against USC. I don't know if it's just like a fig figment of my imagination, but I thought I remember him just being like super long armed, no gloves, old fashioned linebacker (laughs) and just dominated Uh us. Yeah. I think he had almost like, I can't remember how many tackles he had against us last year, but I think it was astronomical number. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the strength of the defense is definitely their linebackers. I mean, Andre Hughes Murray is a local product from Federal Way. He's had, you know, some success rushing the passer. You know, Riley Sharp has had some success as well. And then they've got some playmakers in the defensive backfield. I think there's, I mean, that's probably the weaker part of their defense. So we could have some success through the air, I think. I mean, you saw. I mean, Drake London went for 165 yards against them. So there's some to be had there as well. But that's kind of what I'm seeing from this Oregon State team. I don't know if you guys have any other thoughts there, Um, but really going to be a run first offense. Their offensive line has played really well so far for them this season, just dominated that USC front seven. So that's really what kind of worries me. Honestly, as I was watching the Oregon State USC game in preparation for this podcast, I can see this game going one of two ways. It could look a lot like Michigan, where they just run the ball at will and their offensive line just dominates us. Or I could see it going more of this Cal direction where it's kind of a slop fest and whoever comes out on top at the end will win the game. But I, I think it's going to be a tough matchup regardless of of – those two situations. Yeah. I think the only thing that I have to add there is just, you know, you mentioned the inside linebacker duo uh, tandem, I should say that's really good. And you think it's the best in the conference. 
Um, besides garbage time to Idaho, they haven't allowed a hundred yards rushing in any of the other three games. And so, you know, you look at our rushing attack that you have to say is more of a strength of the offense, uh, given our supposed offensive line strength and the running back depth that we have. And if we can't run the ball on Oregon state, given their linebackers and their defensive line, then we're forcing Dylan Morris to pass more. And I don't know, given Oregon state has eight interceptions this year, I don't know if that's a great idea. Yeah, those interceptions have come from like eight different players. I think I think there's yeah. like eight players with one interception on their on their defense, which is not usually what you see. There's a bunch of linebackers that have interceptions, which, like you said, I think that's the the strength of their team is kind of the middle of their defense. So, it, I mean, there is going to be the biggest test uh, besides Michigan that we've that we've faced for sure. Um, so it, it's a huge, this is a huge game on Saturday. And if we turn our attention to the dogs, Justin, who are some of the players that you're, you're looking at to get them over the hump and, and to possibly win this really tough matchup down in, down in Corvallis? Who are you, who are you relying upon to, to carry the torch for you? Yeah. So offensively, I'll, I'll let you guys speak to this more. I think it st- starts and stops with Dylan Morris. All right. I mean, he's been yep. the supposed weakness of this team. He needs to read multiple players. He's going to have to win the game for us. If we can't run the ball effectively, if Richard Newton plays and gets stopped, Sean McGrew, small guy, can't escape the best tandem in this tandem in the conference, et cetera, et cetera. He's going to need to throw the ball. So not only the receivers need to get open, but he needs to make reads and make the right throws and make accurate throws. So that's my player to watch on the offense. On the defense, I it's the linebacking. It's the linebacking core. So Ulafoshio, Sermon, Bowman, et cetera. Like, can they stop the run? Can they stop BJ Baylor and the host of other folks that run the ball for Oregon State and their offensive line to make them to make their quarterback beat us, right? I mean, Nolan's looked pretty good in the opening season, but he hasn't seen death row dogs yet. He hasn't seen Kyler Gordon. He hasn't seen that's right. Uh, Woo! So this is a whole nother animal for him. So make him beat us. Don't let BJ Baylor go for Jamar Jefferson numbers against UW. We can't have that. That's exactly how we lose this game. So Jackson Sermon, make a fucking tackle, run your ass off and make Nolan beat us. Or sit on the bench. How about or, that? I mean, that's what <laughs> yeah. I do. So that's, that's, that's what I, would, I got. I'm in favor of that. Yeah. What about you, Connor? What are you, what are you looking for out of the dogs? Yeah, I mean, it sounds like Otten's probably not going to play again. Um, it sounds like he's still going to be in COVID protocol, which is a big loss. I, I mean, we have a lot of talented pass catchers, but there's no one re- more reliable for Kate Otten, and there's no one that Dylan Morris trusts more, especially on like a big third down than Kate Otten. So his presence is definitely uh, is definitely, or rather, his lack of presence out there is is definitely felt. Let me ask you a quick question on that. And I sure. I think you probably know where I stand on this one, but I just think it's a it's a thought-provoking question that just came to mind while you were saying that is Dylan Morris's tendent negative tendency that we keep calling out is his inability to go through his reads. Mm. And one of the things that we for sure have seen from him early in the season is him locking on to his favorite target, really mm. Kate Otten, and forcing it into double coverage, triple coverage. Obviously, we all want Kate Otten to play, but in some regards, does that just make Dylan Morris a worse quarterback as opposed to when he wasn't on the field, at least for the first half against Cal, 
it looked like he was spreading the wealth a lot more. Sure. So what are your thoughts on that? I mean, obviously you, you want your all American tight end to play, but in some regards, maybe that comfort blanket is just harming Dylan Morris to a certain degree. Yeah, it's definitely a legitimate concern. I would just say though, that, that in response to that, that Dylan has also gotten his wide receiver core healthy or not. He hasn't, that was poor wording choice, but like the wide receiving core has, has started to become healthy over the past couple right. of weeks. As well. Um, and it, it was as healthy as it's been all year in this last game against Cal. So I think there, there's definitely a point, like no, no doubt that Kate Otten is for sure his favorite target. I think even with those guys out there, but he trusts Rome, he trusts Jalen McMillan, he trusts Terrell Bynum like those are the three wide receivers that he he keys in on and mm-hmm. Taj Davis becoming that fourth wide out too for the for the for the group as well but um yeah I mean there's no doubt that he's he's still he, you want your best players out there like yeah. ultimately so I and whether or not he he locks on to him too much it, he's still gonna make more plays than than not so I'd still rather have him out there that being said, though, Devin Culp had an amazing game on, against Cal on Saturday. Um, and can he follow that up? You know, that's that's one of the guys that I'm keying in on on offense is Devin Culp. So I, I'd like to see him build upon that game and show that, like, he maybe he's that legitimate second tight end threat for this offense in the passing game. We've seen him as a blocker a lot as a second tight end and he's he's a very solid blocker but we've never seen him go off like he did basically on Saturday and a lot of that had to do with him taking over for Kate Otten but um he's he's gonna have to do the same thing against against this Oregon State defense defensively you mentioned pass rush earlier and the guy that I'm turning to is our five-star recruit on defense that we haven't really seen He's he's due to break out at some point. Savelle Smalls. And even though he's in his second year now, he's still a young player. He's only seven games into his career at this point. So I'm not expecting like him to just jump up out of nowhere and go off for like three or four sacks. But can he start to just get some consistent pressure on the quarterback? That's what we recruited him to do. I want to see it on Saturday. You know, I want, I want to see this guy start to live up to the hype. It was around his name. Whenever he came to UW, he wants to be a hometown hero. He's got to start playing like it, you know? So I'm, I'm turning to him to maybe start to ignite this pass rush for the defense. Yeah, I totally agree. It's time for him to shine. We need somebody badly to step up at that position as a pass rush specialist until ZTF gets back. And even then you want to have at least two of those guys. And, you know, I think part of the problem with smalls is his lack of gap integrity and, and holding the edge in the run game. And he's just not getting the opportunities to really play the snap count that you need and get that volume of plays under your belt to actually make something happen. Um, I've seen him get in on a couple of obvious passing scenarios and I see him just be like, one step too late and the quarterback's able to either sneak out, jump up into the pocket, get rid of the ball. He's just not quite 
converting on those sack opportunities, but I'm with you. I'm hoping that he has a big game. The other person that we've kind of, we've kind of alluded to this already. I think Justin was mentioning it was that linebacker play. And, you know, I think we all feel really confident with Eddie. If he's full go, it seems like he's kind of working himself back into hundred percent game shape, but Jackson sermons really just continuing where he left off last year. And he's a complete liability in both the run game, the pass game. He's terrible in pursuit. He's terrible outside of the tackles. He's terrible about getting off of blocks and, if they just run BJ Baylor at Jackson sermon, that's, you know, eight yards a pop all day. And so at this point I, I've given up on him as sad as that is to say, I'm tired of seeing 43 out there. I want to see somebody else that may make more mistakes in terms of their assignment, but also making more splash plays and really attacking the line of scrimmage, attacking those blocks have the athleticism to, you know, pursue to the sidelines, run sideline to sideline. So I really want to see, you know, Haimuli and Carson Bruner are the two that really pop to me. And I mm-hmm. think they're both young. They both are going to make mistakes, but I think they bring an element to the game that really complements Eddie and takes some of the pressure off of Eddie where he's not having to always pursue the, the far side of the field and make up for, Jackson Sermon being blocked 10 yards down the field, play in, play out. So I think that Justin hit the nail on the head. Like this defense is going to go as the linebackers go. If we can, you know, try to, you know, restrain their offense from just becoming a a train running down the field, like Michigan was on us. And that really is going to be with the defensive tackles and those linebackers up the middle of the, the defense here we got to make this quarterback beat us and beat us with his arm to be really specific um so i'm, I'm just worried that bj baylor and chance nolan are going to have a field day running the ball and that's going to spell bad things for this team it was really interesting that we didn't see any of carson bruner on saturday did you notice him out there at all was he out on like special teams or anything yeah, like that he was out there on all the special teams but i don't think he got a single rep at inside yeah. linebacker I will admit that Daniel Haimuli is huge now. Yeah, he's gotten a lot bigger. He's He came in at like 215, dude, didn't he? Yeah, like he was, I think he that was, was maybe even... Yeah, I think that was maybe with wet shirt and wet pants on or something. Yeah. So, I mean, he's probably up to what, 230, 240 now? Yeah, I, my guess would be he's closer to 230. Yeah. I mean, he he just noticeably looks bigger this year than he did last year. So that that was that was something that stood out to me on Saturday when he was out there. Um, I just hadn't I hadn't like keyed in on him as much. I think this year, even even though he's gotten playing time before this last Saturday, but I finally did, and I was like, wow, that guy has definitely done his work in the weight room. So um, speaking of uh, Sapardo going quiet, he actually just called me. I feel like I should have picked it up and put him on the oh, podcast. Oh, that would have been great. Yeah, that would have yeah. been funny. And and not uh not told him that we we're recording. That would have been so good. That would have been so good. He's probably called uh, to talk shit. <laughs> probably, probably. All right. Well, let's talk some keys to the game. Um, I th- we I think we have some some pretty generic ones here, but I think they're all legitimate. Um first one that we have here is 
Justin, you alluded to it earlier that OSU is really good at causing turnovers. They've like they like you said, they had eight interceptions. I think they have a few forced fumbles this year as well. Um, and they're plus plus four in turnover margins so far this year. On the contrary, UW is negative two in turnover margin this year. Winning the turnover battle on the road is massive. That is what spells W on the road is winning that turnover battle. And I think that's that's numero uno. Dylan Morris cannot have any stupid turnovers on Saturday. He almost had one this last Saturday against Cal when he got the ball knocked out of his hand. And I mean, some of that, most of that I think was just like instant pressure kind of on him. That was probably mostly the offensive line, but he also needs to be more aware of that and can't be holding the ball like he's Mike Vick because we know that he's not that. (laughs) So uh, Dylan also just, we've seen him throw stupid interceptions where he's just forcing it into like triple coverage. He didn't do that on Saturday. He needs to not do that again this coming Saturday against against uh, Oregon State. So that's that's no, number one key to the game for me is making sure that we're winning that turnover battle. We've finally started to see the defense cost some turnovers too. None more none more bigger than that uh, forced fumble by Cam Williams at the goal line to win the game, seal the game against Cal in overtime. So. It, be great to keep that train going. They come in bunches typically. So keep that momentum going defense. Um, even though they kind of probably had a subpar second half, they were at least causing some turnovers to keep us in that game. And, and that was huge in us coming out on top on Saturday. So look for both of those trends to continue and um, hopefully, hopefully we win that turnover margin. I think that'll go a long way towards us possibly having a chance in this game in Corvallis. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I don't have a ton to add. I mean, you mentioned Morris having a complete game. I mean, just, you know, mm-hmm. can he find that second read, make the dump offs to Taj Davis when necessary and not throw the ball to McMillan deep on a third and two? I think that's really, <laughs> it's really important to continue calling those, you know, calling plays that will have Dylan Morris be successful. Number one. Number two, I, you know, I'll just say it special teams. I think special teams is going to be really important in this game. It's going to be a really close, tight, low scoring game. And you can't have in clutch situations, Peyton, uh, Peyton Henry missing field goals. And so I think that's going to be a huge factor in this game down in Corvallis. Is it, is it still called research stadium? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Oh, the burritos. Yeah. Um, so they got to go down. He's got to hit the field goals. I, I, I think that's been a huge weakness for our team ever since Peyton Henry's been here. Yeah. Um, you can point to numerous games. I don't need to tell you which games. Where he's missed field goals that he should have made. And so I think that's a huge weakness and that's going to come into play. He's going to miss some. And that's one of the reasons why I made the prediction that I made. All right, Dick Baird. Hey, I'm with that though. I yeah. mean, I've had conversations with Sapardo in the past. He's the quality control guy on the special teams side of the ball for Oregon state. And what we do at UW on special teams in terms of coverage units, return games is so basic. So keep an eye out. I mean, he hasn't told me anything in detail, but I'm sure he's got something up his sleeve. So my guess is not only in the kicking game, but I think that we can be exploited in terms of, Oregon state getting a kick return or a punt return. So I'm going to be watching out for that. And well, and we'd be remiss not to bring up 
the guy that kind of killed us last year. Champ. In the return game, Champ Flemings. We should have probably put him in players to watch on Oregon State. He's a very, very jitterbuggy, legitimate returner for, for Oregon State. So definitely keep your eyes out on on little 5'5 five, five Champ Flemings. He's little, but he'll punch you in the mouth, as we found out. <laughs> That's true. That's true. And he'll talk his shit after he makes a play, too. So He will. One of the other keys of the game that I'm I'm looking at, and I don't know if this is just like, you know, getting my hopes up because I feel like I say it game in, game out, but we need to get the run game going. I just so badly want to see us just like have some cohesiveness along the offensive line, give our running backs some room to breathe. It just feels like they're slogging it out for like three, four yard carries one after another. And, you know, I know you mentioned Justin that Oregon State hadn't really given up what outside of what, what was that stat? Game. Outside the, of the Idaho game, they haven't given up 100 yards of rushing. Mm-hmm. The one thing that I did see in their game against USC, though, was and maybe this is just the the ebbs and flows of the game and the score, you know, predicating USC forcing USC to pass that they abandoned the running game. But Keontae Ingram, the running back for USC, actually had a lot of success running the ball against Oregon state. He had 14 carries for 79 yards and two touchdowns averaging 5.6 yards per carry. Mm -hmm. So I really just, my head's honestly kind of spinning. I don't really know what our offense is going to look like against this Oregon state defense. There's part of me that feels like based on what I just mentioned, USC had some success running the ball before they abandoned it. Like maybe we're able to get that going. I don't think that Oregon State's defensive line, interior defensive line is anything to write home about. Obviously, those two linebackers, you have to know where they're at. You have to get a hat on a hat with those guys. But maybe we find some success in the running game. Hopefully that would be able to open things up. But I don't, those two linebackers are so good. I just don't know that we're going to actually be able to execute that. So maybe this turns into, you know, our wide receivers versus their DBs. I just, I really don't know how our offense is going to look this weekend. I think that's one of the reasons I have so much anxiety about the matchup is I really don't know where to attack the Oregon State defense. They haven't shown a ton of weakness all, all year. So we'll see. But I do think if we're able to get some success, get some breathing room for the running backs, that that will just open things up and, and we can kind of take it from there. So I'm I'm hoping I'm hopeful, but I'm definitely skeptical. That's a good point about USC abandoning the run. I mean, you look at uh, Oregon State's play selection last week. Uh, Chance Nolan, 19 pass attempts. They had 51 rushing attempts. So yeah, I mean, you know, that's the balance that I love. You know me. So I mean, Gotta Oregon State it. found it successful. <laughs> Run um, the damn ball. I have a question that we don't outline, but Sam and Connor, if you were, if you were, say, you were John Donovan. And you just were deciding that running back, that crowded running back room that we have, what would be, how would you play this game? Assuming everyone was healthy, um, saying Richard Newton's back healthy. Would you have him as be the lead back? Would you have a rotation? Would you play guys that aren't getting enough time? How would you, how would you split carries? Go ahead, Connor. I'll let you go first. It's <laughs> a tough ass question. It is a tough question. Uh, Sean McGrew has proven to be probably the most, consistent running back i would say so far this year um he was the starter on this last saturday he had some success but his stats weren't 
that overwhelming, I'd say. Um, run game still struggled a lot. I think having Richard Newton back to balance that could help a lot because he brings a different element to the running game with his physicality. So I think I think those that's kind of my one-two punch for the most part. I think Cam Davis is the fourth running back in this in this this group right now. Yeah, okay, Sam. All right. Holding up I five. You, I know who you want. Um honestly Kamari Pleasant looked okay before the fumble. And even after the fumble, actually. He yeah, looked he pretty had good. That great um, pass and catch and run in overtime yeah. saved our bacon. Right. I was he he looked really, really nice. So he he showed a little bit of everything on that, and we've seen that from him before. But he oh, it always seems to be a flash in the pan. So I wouldn't say he's gotten enough opportunities this year for us to know if he can do that, like on like on a down by down basis. So I don't. I mean, if they haven't trusted him to do that up to this point, I don't think he's anything more than your your third running back at this point. So I think it's going to be a heavy dose of McGrew and, and Newton. Is, is my guess on Saturday. Yeah, I would answer it really similarly. I want to see us start out with Newton and McGrew for sure. I think they complement each other well in terms of running styles. The one thing that I'll add to it, though, that's been really frustrating for me as a Husky fan, and we talk about the stable of running backs, and I think we all feel there's five running backs that you could put out there. You've got Richard Newton, Sean McGrew, Cam Davis have been you know the top three. You've got Kamari Pleasant that's been in there. And then, like, I've been super high on JV on Sunday. He obviously hasn't gotten too many looks. But what I what has been really frustrating for me is we talk about that stable of running back and having those options, but it seems like the offensive coaching staff, like, makes up their mind before the game. These are the two guys we're going to play. And that's really all you see. Maybe a sprinkled-in third person, but – what I want to see us do is go in with a game plan. I would love to see us go in with the game plan of having Newton and McGrew start the game, but I want to share the wealth. Let's give people carries, see if somebody catches fire. We haven't seen Javion really get any chance to show anything. I'm super high on him. As I've mentioned numerous times on this podcast, probably too much than what's been deserved based on his playing time. But I'm kind of like throwing a little bit of a, toddler temper tantrum right now banging my head and hands on the table give him a shot let's rotate the guys in and out see who catches fire and then roll with that person see who's feeling good that day see who's reading it vibing it feeling it the best and that's what i really want to see is i don't really care at this point who it is but it just feels like we've been going in with a really stubborn personnel plan on like these are the people that earned it this week in practice and we're not going to give anybody else like a really legitimate look at finding success in this game. So I just want to see that open up and see if we can't catch somebody who, you know, catches on fire and roll with that person. Justin, I know you mentioned you just put up six. Who's your sixth guy? Oh, it was more sarcastic. He's not going to play this year, but a Mecca. Oh yeah. Shit. I forgot. We should actually talk about this because Connor, you and I were wrong on our last podcast. Yeah. He's now we at twenty. One guy basically yeah we weren't sure if he was going to count against the scholarships if he could play what all that was he's like he's fully part of the team he's enrolled in yep. school he can practice he mm -hmm. can play that's a good i like that justin that's not i mean obviously he's got 
his head he's injured. totally he's turned injured, around right? and yeah. he's injured. But I'm pretty pumped about Emeka. I like my Texas running backs, baby. <laughs> sorry to sorry, Connor. I threw us off track there with that question. No, you're fine. I, I love it. I, I do I do want to just real quick add uh, add on to that though, is that counter to your point though, Sam, is that there five running backs is a lot of running backs. Like that's that's spreading the wealth it a is. lot. If you're trying to get five running backs carries and your offense has to stay on schedule in order for those guys to all get looks. So do you trust the offense to stay on schedule that, that well to be able to get someone like JV on even on the field? I'm not saying that we should be going in with a game plan to like, you know, in the first half, all five guys are going to get their looks, but yeah. I think, if we're being honest, only three running backs of the five have actually had a chance to build any. Well, honestly, I probably would only say two. Kamari Pleasant and Cam Davis, outside of the Montana game, Cam Davis hasn't really had like a full series. I feel yeah. like Newton and McGrew have had full series where they could develop a rhythm, get some momentum rolling. Like we have, I don't feel like we've dedicated drives to Pleasant, Davis, or to Sunday. And so mm -hmm. I'm not suggesting that we like first drive is this person and go, you know, we're in the third quarter and now no, you know, the first running back hasn't even sniffed the field, but what we're doing right now isn't working. We obviously sure. saw That's early fair. in the season, we were running super stubborn with Cam Davis and Richard Newton. We brought in McGrew. That was a change of pace. It worked for a week last week. It wasn't working super well. I just want to see us, give opportunities to other people. And to your point, Connor, I, I saw something from Pleasant outside of the fumble. He looked really right. good. He was decisive. He ran physical. He broke tackles. He was shifty, making plays on his own. And he used, so he used his physicality for a change too. Like he ran over yeah. a dude on that play too, which was, you know, he's always been big, but he's never really been a physical running back. So, yeah. And God damn it, I'm just going to say it. We got to have, we got to give Sunday an opportunity. <laughs> we got to. Why wouldn't you? I'm would skeptical. Ed, would either one know. of you be upset if you gave him one drive? Just Sunday for one drive. Would you, would you guys be like, oh, what the fuck are we doing? Blah, blah, blah. I don't no. know. It depends, right? I don't know if I'd be upset, but it depends on the context of the game and game flow and et cetera. Probably. Like coming out of halftime against Cal, Javion, you're in for this drive. I would have been fine with that because we had a what an 11 yeah. point lead or whatever. So yeah, I would have been fine in that case. Yeah, I'm telling you, he's but I'm skeptical. I mean, fire. he's he's fifth in the depth chart right now. Yeah, I, I don't know how he's gonna lead the team in rushing yards. That's all I have to say. <laughs> okay, <laughs> taking shots at my predictions now. Uh, if I, if those bad ones. listen, if those offensive coaches knew what was good for him, they'd be listening to me. Play JV on baby. John Donovan at UW.edu, right? I should. That's how man. it works? I'm pretty sure that's how it works. <laughs> yes. Oh. <laughs> all right. Well, we yes. Predictions. Well, there's one other key to the game that we have oh, here, yeah. which we, we've talked about it a bunch, but we need to see pass rush. Like we need, we need the pass rush to be consistent. There's definitely talented enough players to be able to put pressure on the quarterback. 
Um, I don't know if it's a scheming thing. I don't know if it's an effort thing. I don't know if it's really just players not playing up to the the hype that's around their name, but it just needs to be better. Ryan Bowman definitely showed a little bit, I think, this last Saturday against Cal, but it needs to be more than just him. Uh, Tua Tele has, has gotten some pressure from the inside, so that's been good to see. Um, but I'd like to see some other guys step up and – when you have like a stable of pass rushers, we talk about stable of running backs. When you, when you have a stable of pass rushers and you can keep everyone fresh, that's a really useful weapon on defense. And I think we have the players to do it, but we haven't seen it yet. So I'd really like to see that start to start to take fire a bit in, in this game against Oregon state this coming Saturday. All right. Predictions. You want me to start? Yeah. You start Connor. You two go first losers no 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 well all i'm gonna say is that u-dub i really i really wanted to predict this a win i just don't have a very good feeling about this it being a road game oregon state's coming off of a really big win um i mean definitely their biggest win of this season against usc at at the at the coliseum too um so they're carrying some momentum into this game we're carrying a little bit but definitely not as much i just don't trust dylan morris to be able to make the plays needed to to be made in the second half of this game i think this is a close game like i think i think this is a close game it's probably pretty low scoring but um i think ultimately we see kind of almost what happened against the cow against the cow bears on saturday but it ends up ending in a loss and i think we lose this game 23 to 17 um i could see the defense starting to get leaky towards the end probably a tie game one score game throughout the entire the entire night but um i do think that oregon state ends up pulling this out as much as it dismays me i don't usually predict losses but um i just i don't have a great feeling about about this matchup on saturday i i don't i don't like our odds Justin Sam requested me to go I'll oblige um I don't have a good feeling either Connor for a lot of the same reasons I think that our their offensive line is going to bully our defensive line they're going to run all over us Phil Morris is going to throw a pick six it's going to be 27 13 and then we will get a garbage time touchdown at the end so 27 20 will be a little generous I think Oregon State wins pretty comfortably this Oregon State podcast am I in the wrong place no, Are you but, guys even my friends anymore? Oh, wow. We're allowed to be reasonable and realistic. Oh, the Huskies are going to win this one 24 to 17. You're going to see Sam Heward and JV on Sunday run amok on okay. this. <laughs> How's that for reasonable? I no, like it. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just, I'm just kidding. It's what, it's what the listeners want. Sorry, uh, the Huskies going to win, I though. Want. Yeah, I do think that the Huskies are going to win 24 to 17. And here's why. I I do think that we will find more success in the running game than we have all season. I don't think it's going to be like 250 plus yards rushing, but I do think that we'll be able to find some success there, hoping that Richard Newton is healthy and has a really good game. And then I think defensively, this offense of Oregon State doesn't scare me. It doesn't. I think we have the players that can make plays. If Jackson Sermon is the one question mark on this defense for me. I, I've, while Tule Latusi, 
while Tuli Latuli Nasanoa and Sam Taimani haven't played a game-breaking type defense, they've been serviceable. I think Fatui Tuitele has come on really strong. He seems to be yeah, getting yes. better week after week. So I think that as well as the Oregon State offensive line and running game has looked thus far this season, I think we're going to be the toughest run defense they've seen all season. So I don't anticipate them running for well, how many yards they run against USC? 338. Yeah, like that, I, that, that cannot happen against UW. It could, Did you but say that they're going to be one of the tougher run defenses that they play this year. No, that they have played this year so far. Yeah. So they've played Purdue, Hawaii, Idaho, and USC. I don't think it's that crazy of a thing to say. Might I remind you a couple of weeks ago, we gave up 350 on the fucking ground against Michigan. Yeah. And I don't think Oregon State's Michigan. Sure. All I'm saying is that. <laughs> our run de- our run defense hasn't really been that solid this year right I would say. agreed yeah it's not like anything to write home about but i still think my point i thought we I, I think we have a better run played... defense than purdue i think we have a better run defense sure. than hawaii idaho and probably a better run defense than usc at this point in their season sure sure i mean I, I, that's part of that semantics i think but i i also think that um we we just haven't really seen anyone step up in in the run game though we did we did play i think a pretty well against the cal running back the damian whatever his name was i, I think we played him pretty well we but held we their totally team to, we held them to 3.7 yards per carry that's pretty damn good yeah i mean we we totally lost containment of garbers though and he i mean he had huge runs in that we'll, game we'll fix that you can fix that schematically whether that's a linebacker spy whether that's having somebody like Buki or Cam Fab spy, I think we'll fix that. I don't think you're going to see Chance Nolan running for 71 yards and a touchdown against us. I think we'll hold yeah. him to less than that. So can I just get through my goddamn prediction? Yeah. I know you Sorry. so fervently believe that Oregon State's going to blow the socks off this Husky I team. never said that. That's what I said. Yeah. Well, yeah, whatever. So anyways – we're going to win the damn game, and here's why. It's going to be a very similar look and feel to the Cal game. It's going to be sloppy. It's not going to look like either team is in full control the entire time. It's going to be a close-fought battle, and we've proven to win that game. You know who has not? Oregon State. I mean, They haven't they played it. in a close game this season. Fair. All I'm going to say to – Wrap it up, and then Sam will have another point to make sure he's the last one to speak. Uh, oh my lord! <laughs> is that Nolan? When he started, they have not scored less than forty points with him starting. Oh my this. god, dude! Talk to me about their opponents. Oh yeah, Hawaii, Hawaii and Idaho. Okay, what did we do against Montana? You're comparing Hawaii and Idaho to Montana. You don't think Hawaii could beat Montana? Fuck no. Montana's the number one ranked FCS team. Because they beat us. And why do you think that was? They were better than we were. <laughs> All I'm saying is that they can move the ball. And so there are a lot of worries on this defense that aren't cornerback. Um, where we stop. Yes, we are. I agree that we're probably the best run defense they've played. But was that going from 338 to 200? I mean, would you take that? Giving up 200 yards on the ground? Pretty bad. 
could be worse. It's been worse. <laughs> okay. Jesus, dude. <laughs> oh, my God. All right, we I'm are done. not. If, if we give up 200 yards on the ground, we are not fucking winning on Saturday. No. I can almost guarantee you that. I think that. I uh, hope I'm wrong, Sam. I hope I I'm wrong. I don't think yeah, that we're too. giving our defense enough credit in this matchup based on your predictions. If you want to tell I, me um, that the defense is going to struggle because the offense isn't going to be able to do shit and they're going to be on the field the whole game, like we could have a conversation around that. But I think in the first half, I don't see Oregon State having a ton of success on offense against our D. If Cal can put up 24 points up against our de- defense at, at home, I'm pretty sure Oregon State can put up 24 points against us on, on the road. Yeah, we had one road game that we scored 10 points in a garbage time touchdown in a hostile, very hostile environment that Research Stadium does not compare to. But I'm also just worried about like it. If we I didn't know we to... were playing the goddamn Michigan Wolverines this weekend, boys. Oh my God. Yeah, when did Michigan that is a huge power in college football this year. Well, right now they kind of are. I mean, they're ranked top 15. I will they say. are, but, but they struggled against Rutgers on Saturday too. So Huskies are going to win 24 to 17. All right. Period. I hope, it's done. That's my final right. word. I hope, I you're, hope right. you're right, Sam. And then yeah. next week, you I'm can sure come you guys do. And, I can't this wait. A, this is a massive game. This is a, like, this is a turning point of the season though. Like mm-hmm. there's no doubt about that. We win this game. You go into the bye week feeling pretty good. Like this is for sure. This would be a very good win. If you win this game, this is a very good win. If we win, you know what's going to happen? Yeah. I'm going to put miles on the tires. I'm looking at Safeway, Albertsons, Fred Meyer, Trader Joe's, QFC. I'm going to find some crow cookies for y'all to eat on the next episode that we record. Wow. Where'd you hear that one before? Because that, that was just, rehearsed. No, I actually just thought of that. Oh, wow. No. Unfortunately, okay. there probably aren't such thing as crow cookies, so I might have to, you know, coerce my wife into making some for you. But that would be a good outcome. It isn't like like crow's feet? Like, isn't there like a dessert named crow's feet or something like that? Or maybe I'm making I don't shit know. up. Whatever it is, I'll make it for you, and you can eat it once we beat. I'll gladly. I'll gladly Oregon State eat it. Twenty-four I, to seventeen. That ain't honestly, no guess. I, that's what it's going to be. It pains me to say that, like, I don't feel good about us playing Oregon State. Usually that's I mean that hasn't been the case in since, 10 years. Yeah, since the Huskies <laughs> were playing in Seahawks Stadium and Oregon State was right. number 8 and they were still overrated. Right. Obviously. I can't believe well, they, they stormed. They had the, the Rodgers brothers. That was sad. Stuff. Yeah. I was so pissed. Yeah. Anyway, all right. Um, I think that's it. <laughs> Sam's should we wrap this up? I'm going to keep it. Yeah. We should probably wrap this up. Well, hopefully the Huskies pull it out on Saturday. I'll I'll certainly be tuned into my phone. I'm going to be in Hawaii, so I probably won't be able to watch the game, but I will follow along. Um, we'll definitely do a reaction episode next week to that, though. So um, it'll probably be later in the week because I won't be back till midweek. But um, look for that later later in the week next week. But uh, as always, thanks for listening, folks. As always, we appreciate the support. Subscribe and follow if you haven't already. And leave us a message via the anchor link in our description. Until next time. I know you both want to hear Go Beast, but it ain't happening. Go Dogs! <laughs>